Chapter Eighteen of Oscar Wilde: His Life and Confessions. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Martin Geeson. Oscar Wilde: His Life and Confessions by Frank Harris. Chapter Eighteen: Mitigation of Punishment, but Not Release on my return to london i saw sir ruggles brys no one could have shown me warmer sympathy or more discriminating comprehension i made my report to him and left the matter in his hands with perfect confidence i took care to describe oscar's condition to his friends while assuring them that his circumstances would soon be bettered a little later i heard that the governor of the prison had been changed that oscar had got books and writing materials and was allowed to have the gas burning in his cell to a late hour when it was turned down but not out in fact from that time on he was treated with all the kindness possible and soon we heard that he was bearing the confinement and discipline better than could have been expected sir evelyn ruggles brys had evidently settled the difficulty in the most humane spirit later still i was told that oscar had begun to write de profundis in prison and i was very hopeful about that too no news could have given me greater pleasure it seemed to me certain that he would justify himself to men by turning the punishment into a stepping-stone and in this belief when the time came i ventured to call on sir ruggles brys with another petition surely i said oscar will not be imprisoned for the full term surely four or five months for good conduct will be remitted sir ruggles brys listened sympathetically but warned me at once that any remission was exceptional however he would let me know what could be done if i would call again in a week much to my surprise he did not seem certain even about the good conduct i returned at the end of the week and had another long talk with him he told me that good conduct meant in prison parlance absence of punishment and oscar had been punished pretty often of course his offences were minor offences nothing serious childish faults indeed for the most part he was often talking and he was often late in the morning his cell was not kept so well as it might be and so forth peccadillos all yet a certificate of good conduct depended on such trifling observances in the face of oscar's record sir ruggles brys did not think that the sentence would be easily lessened i was thunderstruck but then no rules to me are sacrosanct indeed they are only tolerable because of the exceptions i had such a high opinion of ruggles brys his kindness and sense of fair play that i ventured to show him my whole mind on the matter 
oscar wilde i said to him is just about to face life again he is more than half reconciled to his wife he has begun a book is shouldering the burden a little encouragement now and i believe he will do better things than he has ever done i am convinced that he has far bigger things in him than we have seen yet but he is extraordinarily sensitive and extraordinarily vain the danger is that he may be frightened and blighted by the harshness and hatred of the world he may shrink into himself and do nothing if the wind be not tempered a little for him a hint of encouragement now the feeling that men like yourself think him worthful and deserving of special kindly treatment and i feel certain he will do great things i really believe it is in your hands to save a man of extraordinary talent and get the best out of him if you care to do it of course i care to do it he cried you cannot doubt that and i see exactly what you mean but it will not be easy won't you see what can be done i persisted put your mind to discover how it should be done how the home secretary may be induced to remit the last few months of wild sentence after a little while he replied you must believe that the authorities are quite willing to help in any good work more than willing and i am sure i speak for the home secretary as well as for myself but it is for you to give us some reason for acting a reason that could be avowed and defended i did not at first catch his drift so i persevered you admit that the reason exists that it would be a good thing to favour wilde then why not do it we live he said under parliamentary rule suppose the question were asked in the house and i think it very likely in the present state of public opinion that the question would be asked what should we answer it would not be an avowable reason that we hoped wilde would write new plays and books would it that reason ought to be sufficient i grant you but you see yourself it would not be so regarded you are right i suppose i had to admit but if i got you a petition from men of letters asking you to release wilde for his health's sake would that do sir ruggles bryce jumped at the suggestion certainly he exclaimed if some men of letters men of position wrote asking that wilde's sentence should be diminished by three or four months on account of his health i think it would have the best effect i will see meredith at once i said and some others how many names should i get if you have meredith he replied you don't need many others a dozen would do or fewer if you find a dozen too many i don't think i shall meet with any difficulty i replied but i will let you know you will find it harder than you think he concluded but if you get one or two great names the rest may follow in any case one or two good names will make it easier for you 
naturally i thanked him for his kindness and went away absolutely content i had never set myself a task which seemed simpler meredith could not be more merciless than a royal commission i returned to my office in the saturday review and got the royal commission report on this sentence of two years imprisonment with hard labour the commission recommended that it should be wiped off the statute book as too severe i drafted a little petition as colourless as possible in view of the fact that the punishment of two years imprisonment with hard labour has been condemned by a royal commission as too severe and inasmuch as mr wilde has been distinguished by his work in letters and is now we hear suffering in health we your petitioners pray and so forth and so on i got this printed and then sat down to write to meredith asking when i could see him on the matter i wanted his signature first to be printed underneath the petition and then issue it to my astonishment meredith did not answer at once and when i pressed him and set forth the facts he wrote to me that he could not do what i wished i wrote again begging him to let me see him on the matter for the first time in my life he refused to see me he wrote to me to say that nothing i could urge would move him and it would therefore only be painful to both of us to find ourselves in conflict nothing ever surprised me more than this attitude of meredith's i knew his poetry pretty well and knew how severe he was on every sensual weakness perhaps because it was his own pitfall i knew too what a fighter he was at heart and how he loved the virile virtues but i thought i knew the man knew his tender kindliness of heart the founts of pity in him and i felt certain i could count on him for any office of human charity or generosity but no he was impenetrable hard he told me long afterwards that he had rather a low opinion of wilde's capacities instinctive deep-rooted contempt too for the showman in him and an absolute abhorrence of his vice that vile sensual self-indulgence puts back the hands of the clock he said and should not be forgiven for the life of me i could never forgive meredith never afterwards was he of any importance to me he had always been to me a standard-bearer in the eternal conflict a leader in the liberation war of humanity and here i found him pitiless to another who had been wounded on the same side in the great struggle it seemed to me appalling true wilde had not been wounded in fighting for us true he had fallen out and come to grief as a drunkard might but after all he had been fighting on the right side had been a quickening intellectual influence it was dreadful to pass him on the wayside and allow him callously to bleed to death 
it was revoltingly cruel the foremost englishman of his time unable even to understand christ's example much less reach his height this refusal of meredith's not only hurt me but almost destroyed my hope though it did not alter my purpose i wanted a figurehead for my petition and the figurehead i had chosen i could not get i began to wonder and doubt i next approached a very different man the late professor churton collins a great friend of mine who in spite of an almost pedantic rigour of mind and character had in him at bottom a curious spring of sympathy a little pool of pure love for the poets and writers whom he admired i got him to dinner and asked him to sign the petition he refused but on grounds other than those taken by meredith of course wilde ought to get out he said the sentence was a savage one and showed bitter prejudice but i have children and my own way to make in the world and if i did this i should be tarred with the wild brush i cannot afford to do it if he were really a great man i hope i should do it but i don't agree with your estimate of him i cannot think i am called upon to bell the british cat in his defence it has many claws and all sharp as soon as he saw the position was unworthy of him he shifted to new ground if you were justified in coming to me i should do it but i am no one why don't you go to meredith swinburne or hardy i had to give up the professor as well as the poet i knocked in turn at a great many doors but all in vain no one wished to take the odium on himself one man since become celebrated said he had no position his name was not good enough for the purpose others left my letters unanswered yet another sent a bare acknowledgment saying how sorry he was but that public opinion was against mr wilde with one accord they all made excuses one day professor tyrrell of trinity college dublin happened to be in my office while i was setting forth the difference between men of letters in france and england as exemplified by this conduct in france among authors there is a recognised esprit de corps which constrains them to hold together for instance when zola was threatened with prosecution for nana a dozen men like Cherbulier, feuillet dumas fils who hated his work and regarded it as sensational tawdry immoral even took up the cudgels for him at once declared that the police were not judges of art and should not interfere with a serious workman all these frenchmen though they disliked zola's work and believed that his popularity was won by a low appeal still admitted that he was a force in letters and stood by him resolutely in spite of their own prepossessions and prejudices 
but in england the feeling is altogether more selfish everyone consults his own sordid self-interest and is rather glad to see a social favourite come to grief not a hand is stretched out to help him suddenly tyrrell broke in upon my exposition i don't know whether my name is of any good to you he said but i agree with all you have said and my name might be classed with that of churton collins though of course i've no right to speak for literature and without more ado he signed the petition adding regius professor of greek at trinity college dublin when you next see oscar he continued please tell him that my wife and i asked after him we both hold him in grateful memory as a most brilliant talker and writer and a charming fellow to boot confusion take all their english puritanism merely living in ireland tends to make an englishman more humane but one name was not enough and tyrrell's was the only one i could get in despair and knowing that george wyndham had had a great liking for oscar and admiration for his high talent i asked him to lunch at the savoy laid the matter before him and begged him to give me his name he refused and in face of my astonishment he excused himself by saying that as soon as the rumour had reached him of oscar's intimacy with bosey douglas he had asked oscar whether there was any truth in the scandalous report you see he went on bosey is by way of being a relation of mine and so i had the right to ask oscar gave me his word of honour that there was nothing but friendship between them he lied to me and that i can never forgive a politician unable to forgive a lie surely one can hear the mocking laughter of the gods i could say nothing to such paltry affected nonsense politician-like wyndham showed me how the wind of popular feeling blew and i recognised that my efforts were in vain there is no fellow-feeling among english men of letters in fact they hold together less than any other class and by himself none of them wished to help a wounded member of the flock i had to tell sir ruggles bryce that i had failed i have been informed since that if i had begun by asking thomas hardy i might have succeeded i knew hardy but never cared greatly for his talent i dare say if i had had nothing else to do i might have succeeded in some half degree but all these two years i was extremely busy and anxious the storm-clouds in south africa were growing steadily darker and my attitude to south african affairs was exceedingly unpopular in london it seemed to me vitally important to prevent england from making war on the boers i had to abandon the attempt to get oscar's sentence shortened 
and comfort myself with Sir Ruggles Bryce's assurance that he would be treated with the greatest possible consideration. Still, my advocacy had had a good effect. Oscar himself has told us what the kindness shown to him in the last six months of his prison life really did for him. He writes in De Profundis that for the first part of his sentence he could only wring his hands in impotent despair and cry, What an ending! What an appalling ending! But when the new spirit of kindness came to him, he could say with sincerity, What a beginning! What a wonderful beginning! He sums it all up in these words had i been released after eighteen months as i hoped to be i would have left my prison loathing it and every official in it with a bitterness of hatred that would have poisoned my life i have had six months more of imprisonment but humanity has been in the prison with us all the time and now when i go out I shall always remember great kindnesses that I have received here from almost everybody. And on the day of my release I shall give many thanks to many people, and ask to be remembered by them in turn. This is the man whom Mr. Justice Wills addressed as insensible to any high appeal some time passed before i visited oscar again the change in him was extraordinary he was light-hearted gay and looked better than i had ever seen him clearly the austerity of prison life suited him he met me with a jest it is you frank he cried as if astonished always original you come back to prison of your own free will he declared that the new governor major nelson was his name had been as kind as possible to him he had not had a punishment for months and oh frank the joy of reading when you like and writing as you please the delight of living again he was so infinitely improved that his talk delighted me. "'What books have you?' I asked. "'I thought I should like the Oedipus Rex,' he replied gravely. "'But I could not read it. It all seemed unreal to me. Then I thought of St. Augustine. But he was worse still. The fathers of the church were still further away from me they all found it so easy to repent and change their lives it does not seem to me easy at last i got hold of dante dante was what i wanted i read the purgatorio all through forced myself to read it in italian to get the full flavour and significance of it dante too had been in the depths and drunk the bitter lees of despair. I shall want a little library when I come out, a library of a score of books. I wonder if you will help me to get it. I want Flaubert, Stevenson, Baudelaire, Maeterlinck, Dumas Père, Keats, Marlowe, Chatterton, 
anatole france theophile gautier dante goethe meredith's poems and his egoist the song of solomon too job and of course the gospels i shall be delighted to get them for you i said if you will send me the list by the by i hear that you have been reconciled to your wife is that true i should be glad to know it's true i hope it will be all right he said gravely she is very good and kind i suppose you have heard he went on that my mother died since i came here and that leaves a great gap in my life i always had the greatest admiration and love for my mother she was a great woman frank a perfect idealist my father got into trouble once in dublin perhaps you have heard about it oh yes i said i have read the case it is narrated in the first chapter of this book well frank she stood up in court and bore witness for him with perfect serenity with perfect trust and without a shadow of common womanly jealousy she could not believe that the man she loved could be unworthy and her conviction was so complete that it communicated itself to the jury her trust was so noble that they became infected by it and brought him in guiltless extraordinary was it not she was quite sure too of the verdict it is only noble souls who have that assurance and serenity when my father was dying it was the same thing i always see her sitting there by his bedside with a sort of dark veil over her head quite silent quite calm nothing ever troubled her optimism she believed that only good can happen to us when death came to the man she loved she accepted it with the same serenity and when my sister died she bore it in the same high way my sister was a wonderful creature so gay and high-spirited embodied sunshine i used to call her when we lost her my mother simply took it that it was best for the child women have infinitely more courage than men don't you think i have never known anyone with such perfect faith as my mother she was one of the great figures of the world what she must have suffered over my sentence i don't dare to think i'm sure she endured agonies she had great hopes of me when she was told that she was going to die and that she could not see me for i was not allowed to go to her she said may the prison help him and turned her face to the wall she felt about the prison as you do frank and really i think you are both right it has helped me there are things i see now that i never saw before i see what pity means i thought a work of art should be beautiful and joyous but now i see that that ideal is insufficient even shallow a work of art must be founded on pity 
a book or poem which has no pity in it had better not be written i shall be very lonely when i come out and i can't stand loneliness and solitude it is intolerable to me hateful i have had too much of it you see frank i am breaking with the past altogether i am going to write the history of it i am going to tell how i was tempted and fell how i was pushed by the man i loved into that dreadful quarrel of his driven forward to the fight with his father and then left to suffer alone that is the story i am now going to tell that is the book of pity and of love which i am writing now a terrible book i wonder would you publish it frank i should like it to appear in the saturday i'd be delighted to publish anything of yours i replied and happier still to publish something to show that you have at length chosen the better part and are beginning a new life i'd pay you too whatever the work turns out to be worth to me in any case much more than i pay bernard shaw or any one else i said this to encourage him i'm sure of that he answered i'll send you the book as soon as i've finished it i think you'll like it and there for the moment the matter ended at length i felt sure that all would be well with him how could i help feeling sure his mind was richer and stronger than it had ever been and he had broken with all the dark past i was overjoyed to believe that he would do greater things than he had ever done and this belief and determination were in him too as any one can see on reading what he wrote at this time in prison there is before me so much to do that i would regard it as a terrible tragedy if i died before i was allowed to complete at any rate a little of it i see new developments in art and life each one of which is a fresh mode of perfection i long to live so that i can explore what is no less than a new world to me do you want to know what this new world is i think you can guess what it is it is the world in which i have been living sorrow then and all that it teaches one is my new world i used to live entirely for pleasure i shunned suffering and sorrow of every kind i hated both through the prison bars oscar had begun to see how mistaken he had been how much greater and more salutary to the soul suffering is than pleasure out of sorrow have the worlds been built and at the birth of a child or a star there is pain end of chapter 18 recording by martin geeson in hazelmere surrey